Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast hosted by me, Alexa Bigwarf, and my co-host, Nancy Caviones. And today, we are happy to bring you Maria Fuller. She is the founder and thought leader behind RaisingAPowerForGirl.com, which is an online education and community platform that connects professionals from all over the world to parents raising girls to educate and empower them on their parenting journey with the goal of fostering independence, leadership, and strong personal identity in girls so they can change the world. Nancy and I both are the mothers of two young daughters, so this was obviously a topic of ours, and just being women who want to encourage um, and empower women, obviously it starts with raising powerful, strong, creative, independent little girls. So um, Maria has also uh, founded the empoweredgirlmovement.com and their online application for girls called the empoweredgirlapp.com for clever, creative, and inquisitive girls, which focuses on the six tenets of mindfulness, gratitude, purpose, mindset, relationships, and humanitarianism. I can only imagine how different I would be if those tenets had been valued when I was a little girl. So thank you so much, Maria, for being here. Thank you for creating this amazing platform. There's a whole bunch of other amazing things in her bio that we will have posted in the show notes at losethecape.com. But I just want to go ahead and get into talking because um, I, myself, I have always struggled with uh, self-esteem issues and horrible personal stereotypes about myself and all of these types of things that were not fostered by an encouraging mother. I mean, that were fostered by a not encouraging mother, I should say. And um, I think as I came into the world of parenting, like, Fixing that for my daughters is probably one of my number one concerns while also raising a little boy who respects girls. Um, so thank you. What else did we miss out on in this, in the bio that you'd like to, um, that you'd like to add before we, what else do you want us to know about you before we continue on with the discussion? Um, so I'm a mom to two little girls. So obviously that's part of the reason of why I'm doing, um, what I'm doing. And I think what's interesting is my background's actually um, in health science and women's studies. I was a New York City critical care paramedic. Uh, so white presenting female Latina in a very male dominated um, industry was, uh, I think, a big eye opener for me and kind of was the um, my awakening, my aha moment into what it means to be a powerful woman um, to be able to thrive in this world today and the skills that are needed for that, which kind of has led me to doing the work that I'm doing today. That's awesome. It's, it's kind of interesting because my mom, um, well, she was empowered. There's no doubt about it. Like she went back at a young age, got her education, started nursing, got her doctor's degree. Like she was always, it's, I I never had a fear that I couldn't do anything that I wanted as a woman because I saw her doing whatever she wanted to. But I've realized that's, that's only one piece of the puzzle. Like if you're not nurtured other in other ways. And I remember distinctly having a conversation with my, with my husband when our first daughter was born, because I never felt loved. I never felt beautiful. I never felt 
even smart. Now I felt independent and capable. And it's kind of interesting how you can feel some of these things and be like really, really aggressive and, and motivated and driven without feeling the other things and how they've impacted me. But I remember telling my husband, I was like, I would much rather raise an overconfident snob, but they're not going to be a snob because we put such a big emphasis on caring and loving and giving back to the community and loving others around you and all of those kinds of things. But I would much rather raise a daughter who is told every day that she's beautiful and has a very high self-esteem than a little girl who struggles and makes bad decisions and let people walk all over her like I did because I felt, you know, tiny. I felt insignificant in this world. So yeah, Sorry. I think I think that's a deep-rooted problem, and mm-hmm. I think that there's so much more to it than just being told that you're pretty. Sure, because those girls as well have a huge. Um, they carry a lot of weight on their shoulders based on their looks. And and like yourself, I was brought up by a really strong Latina mother. Um, she was a nurse, and uh, she worked several jobs. She was you know hardworking, and she always instilled that in myself and my daughters. And I always say, you know, I love my mother. My mother did the best that she could with the knowledge that she had. And, you know, the work that I do is always trying to show parents that there's other, the the things that we say, the way that we say things um, has a large impact on our daughters. And, and when we know better, we do better. Right. Right. So there's a lot of things that my mom did that actually caused a lot of self-esteem issues um, in myself. And she didn't do it because she wanted to belittle me, she did it because she was actually passing on mm-hmm. um, a generation or, or habits that we pass on from generation to generation. We only know how to parent in the ma- method that we were parented right. or when we learn new skills. So for me, coming from the Latina community, which has a very heavy, heavy emphasis on body um, and food, that was a big problem because I was always, I was never chubby, but I wasn't a slender little girl. So my nickname when growing up was gordita, which in Spanish literally means chubby or fat. Oh, and they no. called me gordi. And it wasn't, it was a term of endearment. So like the Latin culture has a lot of words like that or, or food words, or they'll call you chubby or thick or something like that, which is supposed to be a loving term of endearment. But for myself as a young girl growing up, that word gordita or fat stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the Latin culture, the way my mother, my mom says it was the Latin culture, but I think it's the way my mother was raised. They never told each other, they never, you never said, I love you mm-hmm. to, to your family members. It's implied that they love you. You would never say thank you. It's actually an insult. And if I were to thank my grandparent for buying me something or doing something, I would be insulting them because you don't <laughs> thank a family member. But I was here being raised in the United States and my mother never said, I love you. And I remember being my freshman year of college and breaking down on the phone. I was having a very hard time my, my first year in college. I was at the wrong school. I was going through major mental health crisis. And I just remember sobbing on the phone saying, you don't love me. You never say I love you when I get off the phone. And the first time I had really heard that was from my, that my now husband who I met just before I went to college. So when we'd get off the phone, he'd say, I love you. Right. And I couldn't even get that from my own mom. And it's just coming up with these little things played such a big impact in how I viewed myself um, in the world. And and a lot of it just stems from language and how we language around our girls and how the impact that it has on them, on their self-esteem and how they view themselves. 
I use the word beautiful at the beginning to say that I would tell her she was beautiful. But for me, it's much more than that. It's, I tell her she's smart all the time. I tell her she's capable all the time. We talk about what it means to be courageous. We talk about, so, you know, just so everybody doesn't think I'm out here trying to raise a girl who just thinks she's just like the prettiest thing in the world. Like that's just one example of how I try to make sure I know how important affirmations were, positive affirmations were and are for me. And I try to make sure that there are plenty of words, um, positive words influ- that come to her, to both of my girls and my son every day. Yeah. I think this is so interesting, you know, just to offer a little bit of contrast. You know, I come from a very like large, overbearing Jewish family. So, you know, we're very, um, you know, we're affectionate. You know, we fight a lot, but then like we, five minutes later, we're fine. You know, so I grew up with a lot of like, I love yous. And, you know, my dad, like, you know, still kisses me on the lips, which like some people think is weird, but like we've always done that, you know. Um, so I grew up with a lot of like, you know, always hearing like, I love you and, you know, you're a good person and all of this stuff. But, um, you know, the, the weight thing, like thinness, is like the ideal even if like nobody ever comes out and calls you fat or calls you like a term of endearment or whatever you know it would it was more like the other way like being praised if you lost weight Mm -hmm. so I remember when I was a kid um my stepmother telling me um I like tried on some clothes that she had gotten me for school and I remember her telling me oh you're such a skinny mini you know, which I, like, had never had anybody tell me that before. I was, like, not, like, a fat kid, but I definitely, like, started gaining weight as I got older, and then by the time I got out of college, I was, like, pretty heavy. So, um, you know, and it, it just, a thing where I just did the whole 30, and I didn't tell anybody in my family, because I knew that everybody would be really excited that I was doing the whole 30, and, like, secretly hoping that I would lose, like, 100 pounds in a month. so um you know so it's interesting like you could grow up with like you know all these messages that you're loved you know and that you're a good person and stuff like that but still get those like underlying messages of well you would be a better person if you would just lose some weight or whatever you know and I like have learned about myself that like it's better for me to not talk about whatever I'm doing to lose weight because when somebody praises me for doing something like that, I run in the other direction and eat like a bag of cookies. So. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you have in your bio is that you spend a lot of time helping girls shed unhealthy beliefs, breaking down these stereotypes that are surrounding motherhood, not just girls, but pregnancy, motherhood, body image, self-esteem, parenting, um, women in leadership, girls empowerment, all these types of things. And um, I was just hoping that maybe you would give us um, some global tips or things that we can use to help us as we're trying to develop healthy mindsets of our girls and healthy grow them in a healthy manner so that they're not sitting around with women when they're in their early late 30s early 40s and saying oh my gosh my mom totally screwed me over I don't love myself and you know, all of these things yeah 
Yeah, you know, I think there's, gosh, it's just a, like a topic I could talk about for hours. You know, I think there's a, there's a few things here. I think one of the big things for me and something that I've seen with all of the work that I've done with working with a lot of tween and um, teen girls is it's really important for girls to find something that they're passionate about. And if for many girls, it tends to be something in athletics, which is really amazing. So whether they're dancing or they're playing soccer or gymnastics, um, it's, it's critical it really that they find something that they are passionately passionately passionate about. Um, and it's interesting because I've been working on this with my oldest who is 10 and we really still haven't found that. She's really good at skiing, but our ski season here is very short window and it's not something she can do year round. Um, because what I've found through, through all of my research is that these girls that are really passionate about something, they have this sense of self and self of sense of purpose in the world that really drives them. And these girls, I tend to see less issues with anxiety, less issues with self-esteem and less body image issues. Um, you know, some of the girls that are, that are doing um, activities that are, are very physically uh, focused, like dancing and gymnastics, that can get a little tricky. And that really depends on the place um, that their, you know, their coaches and their instructors that they're working with. But, you know, I have a lot of moms that come to me and they say, you know, like my daughter just isn't confident. She doesn't have love. She doesn't have like quite fit in in the world. And I just, what do I do? And, and, you know, I say, start having conversations about with her and ask her, like, if there's, if there was something you could do to make the world better, what would it be? What's something you want to change in the world? Um, you know, how, how do you want to help people and take that big concept and bring it down really small and see how she can start doing that in her own community. And the humanitarian aspect where I talk about inside of our girls platform, that's doing service. When you when you think about volunteer work that you've done or when you help another human being, like you genuinely help them and you make a difference in their life, the feeling that you get. And that brings me back to the work that I did as a paramedic, which was such powerful work for me and where I found a lot of my purpose was in the medicine that I practice, making this huge impact in somebody's life. And it made me feel good about myself. That's when I actually started to learn that, that I was important, that I was a valuable person in the world, that I did have a purpose and that I could, you know, create massive change. So you know, bringing a girl in that loves animals and working in with an animal shelter where she's maybe outside of the community, the circles of school where the drama kind of starts to flow into action and helping. She starts to see that she's more than just that one facet inside of school or that one facet inside of her sports and athletics. And she realizes that even at her age, at 9, 12, 15, she can make a positive impact and her self-esteem and confidence is going to go up from that. Um, and that's how you start really teaching self-love and um, all of those skills that are, that are so critical for girls. So, and I think it's really important for moms to be doing that as well. You know, if you're a mom and, you know, for me, when I, when I first had Alexa, um, I had a lot I had a lot of issues with becoming a mom because the stories out there 10 years ago, we weren't really talking about like the light and dark side of motherhood. You know, everything was still like all rosy and sunshines. And I remember when I had her after 
54 hours of natural childbirth and oh my um, god <laughs> really difficult delivery and i remember they put her on my chest and i expected that like the heavens were going to open up and the angels were going to come down and sing and it was going to be this amazing moment when i like looked at my baby and like i had an instant connection and what happened is they put her on put her on me. She was screaming. I was in horrible pain. I looked at her. She was really cute. And I had like this primal urge to like protect her, but I was exhausted. And I looked at my husband. And I was like, please just take her and do skin to skin. And it was such a heartbreaking experience for me because I thought that there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't going to be a good mom because this was my experience. And it was not what the world had said motherhood was supposed to look like. And um, that's when I kind of started talking more about you know, sharing what, you know, what Brene Brown talks about that vulnerability and, 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 and your, your story. And I started talking about like the, the, the hard parts of motherhood for me and, and creating space for conversations on things that were challenging for me. And it helped to start breaking down these stereotypes, which, you know, girls need to hear stories of other girls that are going through challenging things. You know, us as women, we need to hear stories of other moms that have had challenges in their life so that we don't feel so isolated in our own experience because isolation is one of the leading causes of anxiety and depression in tween and teen girls because they think that the problems that they have are just theirs, that those issues where they don't feel confident that's just them. So they think there's something wrong with them. But when you actually start talking to girls, and this is something that I do every day, and you a I ask them all the same questions, they almost always have the same answers back. They're all going through the same thing. Um, and, you know, I think I, as moms, we can share those stories with our girls on our own experience. And that's like step one. Yeah. I mean, I have a 10 year old daughter also. So, and she's my oldest. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll be talking, she'll be like crying about something or upset about something. And then if I tell her, oh, well, the same thing happened to me when I was your age, you can see it in her face. Like, really? It's not just me, you know? And lately we've been having like a lot of, um, not a lot, but we're starting to, I'm pretty sure she's going to get her period soon. So um, we... Um, have been having like some conversations about you know how she's feeling about it you know what you know what is going to happen because I want her to know that like whenever it happens whatever happens like in the moment that she gets her period it's like totally normal whether you're at school or you happen to be at gymnastics or whatever, you need to talk about this. And yeah. that's just one example. Yeah, you know? it is. It's such a like, great example. Understand that it's never just them. They are not. And it was the same thing with childbirth, too. You know, like, I would say to myself, I am not the first woman to give birth. I can do that, <laughs> you know? Cause that, and that's why we love hearing birth stories. Because we need to know that other women have been through the same thing. And so girls need the same thing. They need period stories and they need boyfriend stories or girlfriend stories like they need all these stories um where they can like start to you know feel like that it's never just them mm -hmm. yeah yeah and normalizing those experiences you know yeah. and if you can do it with your girlfriends like in front of your daughter it's even better so my alexis is who's 10 is probably not gonna have for a period for a while but like a few weeks ago you know I was at home my husband was in the kitchen like the kitchens where everyone congregates and I had two close girlfriends like we've all kind of grown up together and oh somebody asked for a tampon and I went and got it and my Alexa was there and she was like what's this I was like oh you know 
I don't want to say her name, but so-and-so needs this. And she was like, oh, okay. And then, um, you know, the other one chimed in and said something about periods. And all of a sudden, we all just started talking about periods. And she's like, do you have some Motrin? Because I have cramps. And, our, and, you know, my Alexa was like, oh, you have cramps? And she's like, yeah. She's like, sometimes it happens. We're just having this normal conversation. My husband's just hanging out here. And they're all laughing. They're like, you know, they call him Bob. They're like, oh, he's such a good sport listening to this. He's like, listen, he's like, everybody, you know, women, you get periods. Like, what are we going to do about it? Like, it's just part of normal conversation, right? And that's what I wanted for, for my daughter is to like, see that this is just a normal part of our life. And if I can make this experience for her normal and like yeah. comfortable to talk about this right, with all these older, you know, older women and, and how we're just chatting back and forth. Like we think that we can't talk about this stuff in front of our daughters. They need to hear that so that yeah. they know that they can also talk with their girlfriends about this. You don't have to wait till you're 20 to talk about your period. Oh right? my like gosh. The, we all just talk about real. periods. Yes. It's that's so I am 42 years old and I still dislike talking about periods. Like when I, somebody says it's that time of the month or I'm on the rag or whatever, it's shark week or whatever. I just like, I like freeze up. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about, you know, and, and, and I just thank you for just saying that and saying that you had the conversation in front of your husband and that you're talking about it with your girlfriends and you're answering your daughter because I'm terrified of talking yeah. about it with her because I'm still embarrassed. I'm so still that's embarrassed about talking about it. So yeah. here's, here's the big lesson, right? In order, and one of the biggest things I teach is in order to raise a powerful girl, we need to be, we need to model the behavior that we want to see out of our girls. So if hey, you're embarrassed, say that again. It, you need to model the behavior that you want to see in your girl. So yeah. if you are not talking about periods, if you are not comfortable about talking about periods, if you feel shame talking about periods, because really society has taught us to be shameful of it, which is yeah. why so many of us cringe, right? She is going to feel the same thing. So yeah. if you can talk about it and be like, this is normal. Yes, mommy has an extra stash of underwear that's period underwear. We all know why we have period underwear, right? Alexa, yeah. like they'll, they'll see that like she's got the period underwear out, like mommy has her period, right? Like it's such a normal thing that the day that she gets it, like we've talked about it and she's like, when do you think I'm going to get mine? I'm like, probably not for a while. And we talk about biologically why. And she's like, okay. She's like, well, you know, when you think I should like bring stuff to school to have a, like, she's not like, she's like, it's not that she's excited to get it, but she's like, I can handle this. Right. Yes. right? That's a powerful girl. It's powerful. And that's what we want from them. But we are the ones to model this for our daughters. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, mean, oh. I have this group of, of, of lady friends that I am. Um, I don't even know how we all came together. None of us know each other in, in real life. Well, Jody and I know each other in real life now because we went to a conference together, but she's one of my clients. Like it's this group of like strong well, the wolf pack. The, my wolf pack. Yes. <laughs> and we call ourselves the wolf pack because when we started communicating together on boxer and we're all, all over the country, like Northeast, South, uh, Texas, which, you know, Texas is just its own thing, California <laughs> and, um, and Minnesota. So we're all over the place and we have these conversations together and we're constantly talking just about like, Oh, we call each other the wolf pack because one of them was reading, um, women who run with wolves, I think is the name of the book mm -hmm. about being around other strong women. I need to read this book. I keep telling myself, we need to reenact book club and that needs to be book number one. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, we, we're having these real conversations all the time and, and, and I'm 
bringing this around because one, I don't think women are talking openly enough about the things that we need to be talking about with our girls and in front of our girls, like you just said, but also, um, there's so much chatter about crap, (laughs) especially with social media and with other things that are happening. Like, Oh, Oh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Other than to say like, it is important. It's important. I'm, I'm 40 and I still need that 42. And I still need that, that group of women to just let me know it's okay. Let me know it's, you know, uh, anyway, it's having that have share their vulnerability with you and having that connection and, and, and when someone is able to be vulnerable with you and share their truth and share their struggle, it's, it's a gift as to be able to receive that, to know that you're um, in a close relationship enough to be, it's like honorable to receive that information. It also helps with your own experience and saying, Oh, I can share too. And, and, and that's what we need. And, and we're not taught to do that. And it's, and we don't have those female connections, but they are so vital to, um, our, our really our mental health. It really stems down to being able to, to see yourself and others experiences and not feel so isolated in your own, um, to protect your mental health. Yeah. I mean, I remember that like when I was younger, when I was my daughter's age, actually, and I guess a little bit older, I, like, devoured Judy Bloom books because she was, like, the only mm-hmm. one that would, like, talk about periods and masturbation and, like... I don't know. remember that in my Judy Bloom books. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and... um I I Ramona. <laughs> she talks about it, and um, <laughs> Dear God, Are You There? It's me, Margaret. Oh, yes. I never read that and, one. And I don't know if I ever told you the story, but one day I like went into my daughter's room. I was I must have been cleaning up or something like that, and I found that book under her pillow. So, um, and I hadn't given it to her, so I I didn't even know that she like was ready for that kind of thing. So I found that book under her pillow. So I asked her about it. I was like, "Are you reading that?" So she was like, "Oh yeah, my friend gave it to me to read. Um, who's the same age as her?" And this was like last year, maybe. So she was like nine probably um or maybe had just turned 10 and um and I was like well if if you have any question you can ask me because I knew like what the book was about so um and she was like no I'm not gonna have any questions <laughs> I was like okay but you know if you want to talk about it you know I've read the book and if you are confused by anything you can ask me but um, I just found it so hilarious. And that's how I know that some of this stuff is like on her radar. Yeah. And then this past fall, I took her to here in um, the Bay Area. Stanford Hospital does this program called Heart to Heart. And they have one for girls and they have one for boys. And it's basically like just a better version of whatever they would get in health class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like all about um, puberty. Mm-hmm. And related things and stuff. And, um, you know, and you go with your daughter to this class of two sessions. And the first class was, like, pretty, like, run of the mill. She just, like, went over the anatomy and, like, how your body changes, you know, when you go through puberty. The second class, though, was about sex. So... And, you know, I have my 10-year-old daughter sitting next to me, and I don't know what she knows. You know, I know that she has, like, read this book, Dear God, um, are you, Dear God, are you there with me, Margaret? 
Um, so I know that she knows about like masturbation and stuff, which they talked about in the class. But she also talked about like actual mm-hmm. sex. And like it was very, you know, scientific. You know what I mean? She was just basically like, she had all these diagrams and she was like, this penis goes in there. And that's how babies. <laughs> I think that's more mortifying. I look at at Alice and she said to me, she said to me, I'm really sorry that you had to do that three times. (laughs) And then she patted me on the arm. So I was like, it's okay, because I got you out of it. So it's okay. But now, but I'm like so, and I like think that like every parent should take their kid to a class like that because it really helps you open the door to that conversation and kind of provide like, um, kind of provide like the groundwork because now you know what your kid knows. (laughs) And you don't have to worry about, I mean, because I know for me, I was like a little reluctant to bring it up because I didn't want to like freak her out. Like, and Miko's scared or whatever. But now I know that she knows what sex is. Yeah. And so when she's a little bit older, we can have, like, more complex conversations about that. But now I know that she knows what it is. And that if she wants to talk about it, I, like, know where my boundaries are and stuff. But I just felt like that was, like, a really um, important thing for her to experience. That she, like, understands that all of these changes that she's going through is important and... You know, and she's not going to have any kind of, like, confusion when she's older about what a guy really means when he says he wants to get with her or whatever kids say today. So. <laughs> Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, like, crazy that we're having these conversations with 10-year-olds, but it's probably never too soon. Yeah, but, but I think, it, you know, I think it's important to, like, remember that, like, not every child is going to be ready for that at that time. So, like, I have a 10-year-old who's not there for that conversation there yet at all. And partially it's, I think, because of where she's in school, she's in a small private school. It's, she's a little bit more bubbled mm-hmm. and sheltered, and we don't have television. So she's not seeing a lot of, like, the hypersexualization and stuff like that that I've been able to contain it. Some children are ready to have that conversation. I think the the big thing is is to keep the lines of communication open and just be asking them if they have questions and checking in and see where they are. And when you feel like you think they're starting to like get to that point where they, they need more accurate information, then step in. Because I think the range is going to be huge. I think there's some kids that know about it at eight and some yeah. might not until they're like 12. And that's yeah. okay too. It's funny. I have an 11 year old son. He's about to be 12 and um, he knows about sex. He's gone through the health classes. We've had some, you know, just kind of nonchalant conversations about it, but we went to church for the first time in a very, very long time this last weekend. And we were reading the, or stating the apostles creed, which says, I believe in the Virgin Mary, the Holy Catholic church, all of this stuff like that. And all of a sudden he whispers to me, he's like, what's Virgin mean? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're in church. And I like, I'm like, it's a woman who's never had sex before. And I was like, that's the miracle of Jesus was that he was, God put her in Mary. Like it wasn't through sex. And he was like, okay, that's all I needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he, I love that he would just tell you because like, that's one of the things that advice that I always give to people. I'm like, that means no alcohol. Well, I was kind of proud of myself because usually I do like freak out and give, and I've been working very hard 
on giving them real answers. Yeah. Like you don't have to go into yeah. the, all the details, but the first time he asked me where babies came from, I like panicked and I was like, God gives them to you. <laughs> like that is not what I want my children to know about where babies come from. But you know, so I'm, I've been working really hard at no matter how uncomfortable I am. I mean, it gets like tricky. Well, we're, we're kind of running out of time here. So I would like to bring it back to the, the idea of, um, you know, and I think we've talked a lot about it. Like you nailed it when you said you have to model the behavior you want to see, um, bringing, community, sense of community, talking about it in a group with friends. I think for me, that makes it a lot, um, it's easier. It doesn't feel as scary when you're in a group of people and everyone's talking and you see that other people are Mm -hmm. having the same concerns or the same fears or the same whatever. Um, I'm trying to think of like who I know locally that would be I know so many people who still are afraid to talk about a lot of these things, especially in front of their children, you know, so, but um, I will say, you know, but there's so much other things that we can do. And if, um, you know, if you would like to wrap up maybe with some tips that if, if anybody's struggling with how to, well, yeah, just to make it through to raise the strong girls, to provide them the resources that they need, what, what are some of the best go-to things. Sure. So, you know, I think the first thing is to, you know, my definition of a powerful girl, because a lot of times when I say to people, you know, that's my mission, they kind of cringe at me. Like they think that a powerful girl is like this negative, a lot of negative words come up, right? For, for that. But for me, a powerful girl is a girl that knows who she is Mm -hmm. at her core, right? She knows who she is. She has a sense of purpose. She has skills and tools to take care of herself. She knows what self-care is. She takes care of her body, her mind, and her spirit. That's a powerful girl. And how do we, the best way we can do that with our girls as mothers is to be modeling the same thing. How are you taking care of your mind, body, and spirit? And I've done this with my own girls where my four-year-old gets really angry and she's my rager and she has space in her room to rage. And, and we talk about, you know, what do you need? And everyone knows that mommy takes a bath every night. And after, you know, 7, 38 o'clock, like that's my time. That's my self-care. And I model these things and my girls are doing the same thing. So we need to be modeling these behaviors ourselves to show our girls because that's how they learn. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Second, we need to be sharing our own stories with our daughters. So my oldest was trying out for a part in the play at school recently. She'd been working weeks to audition for this part. She wanted it desperately. She did her audition yesterday. She didn't get it. And she came home and she was devastated. Me, the first, my primal urge was, I got to call the school and figure out why she didn't get it. Right. That was my response. That's a normal response. That's a normal response. We want to protect our children. We don't want to see them go through pain, but they need to. So once I calmed myself down, I asked her lots of questions about it. Then I shared a story. Mommy understands. I love theater and musical theater. And there were so many times where I tried out for parts and I just didn't get them. And I had a choice. I could stop doing it because I would get upset. I wouldn't get the parts or I could enjoy the parts that I was in and the experience. So let's talk about what you do have. Let's look at the script. Let's enjoy the experience. And so allow her to grieve and and then we process through it. But she felt better knowing that it wasn't just her, right? Because for, to our girls, they think we're perfect. 
They mm-hmm. really do. They think we have, we can do no wrong. So I've always tried to show my girls that I'm human. So I cry in front of them. I get frustrated in front of them. You know, being an entrepreneur, they have seen me on the floor sobbing. Things didn't go wrong, you know, didn't go right. They know what it means to hold space for someone that's venting. They understand that venting isn't isn't, you know, I'll vent to my husband. They know I'm not arguing with him. I'm just getting out how I feel. And, and I think those are skills that are so critical for them to have. And, and it creates this connection with me and my daughters that they, they feel they can come to me and share these things because they know that mom has felt it because they've seen it and and you're not going to scare them. You don't have to be this strong figurehead. We need to show girls that perfectionism it doesn't exist and that a powerful woman is a woman that feels everything and processes it. And we can do that just by, by being part of that experience with our daughters and sharing our own experience. Um, you know, those, those are the really, I think the, you don't need to reach outside of get other resources. You have it within yourself. I think it's connecting with your inner girl, you know, connect with your 10 year old self, connect with your 13 year old self. Remember what that felt like for so many of us. I think we have shut that down. We don't ever want to go back to what it felt like to be in middle school. <laughs> right. But go back to that place, go back to what that felt like when you're talking with your daughter, when she's making choices that aren't good because her prefrontal cortex is being rewired and she can't do it right, go back to that place and, and approach it with compassion and love. Um, and I think that is, is the best thing that you, that you can do. I love it. This has been such a fun and great um, conversation. I have a lot of work left to do in this area. Um, just getting past my own issues really. So I know you have some tools to help moms trying to do all of these things. Can you make sure everybody knows what they are and how to access them? Sure. So if you go to www.raisingapowerfulgirl.com, you can join our newsletter there. I um, email out once a week with sharing some stories and, and that's where I'm sharing resources. We also have a really great blog there um, that you can read and information that we've sent out. And we have our podcast, uh, which is in our third season and listen to internationally. So I bring on experts from all over the world and women that have overcome challenges and hardships. And we talk about it to give you more tools and tips um, to help empower your daughters. And then for your daughters, uh, go check out the empoweredgirlmovement.com. So it's empoweredgirlmovement.com. And there you can find out uh, more information and tools on how to empower your daughter. You can get information on our uh, web application uh, that's created just for girls where we actually share um, inspiring stories for girls with women all over the world that have um, overcome challenges and share their vulnerabilities to fun puzzles and games. Um, we're not a big screen time family. The reason I created the app was because I wanted to allow my daughter to have an online experience that was um, holistic and just healthy for her. I wanted her to get something positive out of it. So uh, she tests everything that goes up um, and it's a really, really fun space for girls to be online that's safe and healthy. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, I'll make sure to share um, my episode link from when I was on your podcast. Yeah. That was fun. And um, uh, we really enjoyed, I really enjoyed having this conversation today. I'm so glad you were able to come on over yeah, and um, look forward to sharing all of your stuff. It's such an important part of our mission. I know with uh, supporting women, you have to start 
starts early. We train yes. each other very young how to support each other or not support each other, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me on.